If that song we just sang, that worship we just had was, was perfect and went right along with the message that Paul was trying to send to the people in Galatia, he was trying to tell them that, listen, it's not you that saved yourself. How many of you are thankful for that? I don't know about you. I, I, maybe maybe the, the Wednesday night crew right here is the wrong crew to preach this to. <laughs> I don't know. Because y'all may have it all together. But me, the person on the stage, I'm telling you, I'm thankful I don't have to rely on my own strength and my own ability and my own decisions to fix everything. Because guess what? I'd be in a mess. Y'all may be all right. Maybe I should listen to you guys. But I'm thankful that it was the grace of God and the power of Christ that gives me power over my sins, that forgives me, that even when I mess up, I can go to Him and He gives me the wisdom I need to move forward. Amen? Go with me to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be... In verses, starting with verse 11, we're going to go through the rest of the, the chapter here tonight. Uh, and similar to, to last week, if it's okay, I'll try not to get as excited as last week. Man, I was telling we had worship practice after I went and sat down on the keyboard, and I, I felt like I'd preached like two services on Sunday. I was just like, oh, I don't, and it could be just because I'm older and out of shape, and I've just, you know, been out of practice. That probably is more the answer. I'm just, it's, it's aging, and I don't want to admit it. I like to just say maybe I just gave more energy than normally on a Wednesday night. But, um, uh, so I'll, I'll try not to scare anybody tonight or get too, too crazy, too preachy. But this is similar to last uh, week. I want us to go through line by line, and there's some things that just in studying the Scripture, the Lord pointed out, some points, some principles, so to speak, that I think are speaking to us. And along with that, we'll kind of get the story of what Paul is talking about. So last week in the first part of the chapter, Paul's talking about how he went back to Jerusalem 14 years after his first journey there, and he had been ministering, he had been going all throughout Europe, he had been going to the and he had been preaching and speaking to the Gentiles and, and trying to get them on board with, with what was going on, trying to tell them that, listen, I know that you guys are preaching the Jews, but the, the gospel's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles too. And, and you also can't show favoritism. Just because these people are Jews don't mean they're better than the Gentiles. Jesus came for everybody. How many of you are glad that he came for everybody? Guess why? Because if he didn't, we wouldn't be here. We're all Gentiles. Amen. We're, 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 that's the reason we're here. We're part of it. We should be thankful that Paul went. And so he went and he was speaking the word and he was, he was saying, listen, guys, I'm here to tell you it's for everybody. Look, he brought people with him. And I kind of talked about that last week, how in the kingdom of God, it's important for us to have people who pour into us that are mentoring us, that we're partner with. But at the same time as we're growing and as people are pouring into us, we need to make sure we're reaching down our hand and we're grabbing other people that are new in the faith and we're pouring what we know into them. Amen. And we talked about all of those things, and Paul was going and letting them know this is the gospel. We just Even if we don't see everything the same way, we still have the core principle that we want everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, and sort of made that point that, that everybody should be on the same team. We're not going to do it the same way. We all have different talents and gifts. We all have different methods, maybe even, but it doesn't mean that we can't all don't have a role in the kingdom, Amen. So let's move on from there into verse 11, and we're going to walk through, and I want to show you a couple things. This first verse is going to get kind of heavy, so let's just knock it out right away. Is that okay? So now when Peter had come to Antioch, this is Paul again writing, and so he says, now Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Uh-oh. Business just picked up right away. This is why. He said, because he was to be blamed. How many of you know that there are times when people do stuff wrong and they are to be blamed? All right? And so right away, this kind of 
jumps out on the page. Because again, you guys know me. Y'all know kind of my personality too. I'm a very much, we talk about conflict. I like to make sure everybody's happy and just keep everybody, you know, okay. And let's just, let's just get along and sing Kumbaya and let's all be on the same page and let's not have any problems. Anybody like that in here? Okay, maybe just me. All right. But also there's this thing called reality. Everybody say reality. And the reality is, is that as much as we all like for everybody to get along and sing Kumbaya and put our arms around each other, guess what? There's going to come a point where not everybody's going to get along and put our arms around each other and sing Kumbaya. Is it okay to admit? I, listen, that in every aspect of your life, I'm going to be real for a moment. Is that okay? I would love to tell you that in my house, we're just like the Waltons where everybody gets along all the time and everything's just great and grand and wonderful. But can I tell you, there are moments in our, our house when we speak to each other passionately. And I'm not talking about the Song of Solomon stuff. I'm talking about the passionately. <laughs> Sometimes my kids hit that nerve. And instead of bringing them into my bosom and blessing them, I want to lay hands on them and... Not spare the rot. Y'all know what I'm talking about, okay? Is, can I be real? Is this okay? There are moments, like I said, me and my wife, we passionately speak to each other, and it's, it can get heated. So I'm not, some of y'all say, Pastor, but I'm not saying we, don't, we ain't sin or nothing. There's no abuse going on. Don't, don't look at me that way. I'm just being real. Is this okay? We have heated discussions where we have to make sure that our points are going across. Why? Because the real world is going to involve some form of conflict. Sometimes our, our personalities and desires are going to clash. Is this okay? If I could also be real, it happens in your family, but I guarantee you it happens in your workplace. How many times you go to work and, man, even if when you're trying to recruit and hire those people and say, man, we're just a big family, we all get along and everything's great. I, I know, I, I hear people say that all the time. It's usually always the time when my antenna starts coming up. You're using that word way too much. <laughs> but I've learned that people say family, you think it means, oh, everybody just loves it. Yeah, it's family because they don't get along. They speak to each other passionately sometimes. Is this okay so far? And, and here's where I'll really blow your mind. And, and if I'm going too far here, forgive me. There's people in here I'll subject to your authority. You correct. But even within the church... Even within the church, you know, we're all seasons. We grow together. We just, and it is true. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to paint the wrong picture for the month. Man, this is, there's, you can't find a better body of believers who will hug you and who will love you and who will support you and who will make you feel good and welcome and who will support you. Amen. That's why you're here. But we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we said that you will always get along with everybody in the church and agree with everything that's done, whether from the top down, all of the time. Is this okay? Have I crossed any lines? Have I said anything that's not true? Okay. So it doesn't matter when you're around people, there's going to come a point, even within the church, that things are going to happen and people are going to have two perspectives on something. And sometimes those perspectives start to clash. Well, this was a little bit deeper than just a normal personality clash or opinion clash or perspective clash. Here, we actually had a clash of theology. We had a, th a clash, if I can speak well, a clash of, of the Bible and what the gospel was. So this was going beyond just a little disagreement. This went beyond the, some people like it when there's a blue background and some people prefer a yellow background and we have a discussion about it. Does that make sense? No, that don't happen. I just made that example up on the fly. I don't want anybody thinking there's arguments about that. 
But that's what I'd call a difference of perspective. Does that make sense? I think something, you think something. At some point, we're never going to fully agree. We're just going to sort of get over it. What Paul and Peter had here was a serious issue. There was an issue that Peter had. And remember, you have to think about the gall and the bravery that it was going to take for Paul here to call out Peter. Remember who Peter is. Peter was the the one who Jesus said, I'm going to build my church upon you. Now remember that? Jesus said, you know, if you love me, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Upon you I will build my church. That's why he called him Peter, the chief cornerstone. You're the one that, 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 that I love and that I'm going to use. Peter was there and he walked with Jesus. He was the one that was so passionate about Jesus that he would pull his sword and cut the ear off of the soldier who was trying to arrest him. He's the same one that said, Jesus, you just tell me it's you. I'll jump out of this boat and walk on the water to you. This is Peter, very passionate person, someone who was there. And it was the very one that when the day of Pentecost came in Acts chapter 2 and the Spirit of God came in and filled them like a mighty rushing wind and the church was born, it was Peter who went out from that place and preached one sermon and saw thousands of people give their life to Jesus right there on the spot. This was Peter. He was a powerful person. He was important to the early part of the church. Is everybody with me? And so here's Paul. Remember, we kind of alluded to this last week. We'll allude to it again. Paul, his name originally was Saul, and he, he came up under the Jewish tradition to the point that anybody who was with Jesus or anyone who preached Jesus or walked or associated with Jesus, he had them put to death. He's radically changed and transformed. He never walked with Jesus in the flesh, but he had a revelation of Jesus and had a vision of him on a Damascus road. It changed his life, and he became an incredible preacher of the gospel. Yet Paul never knew Jesus. We would think sort of in the worldly system that we sort of have of, of rank and file. Does this make sense? That Peter would be someone that, that Paul wouldn't need to go and start talking to. Does this make sense? Peter's somebody who, you know, he should be kind of at the head. You should be listening to Peter. Paul, you shouldn't be going and talking to Peter. But understand, Paul noticed that something that Peter had been doing and his actions were sort of contradicting the gospel that he was preaching. And Paul said, somebody needs to be willing to have a conversation and point out that something's not right here. Is this okay? And we could get into it. I don't want to get into the weeds. There's proper methods and ways to do that. Different sermon for a different time. Probably stuff I've already sort of taught. But, you know, you don't go guns a-blazing and try to embarrass someone and be real threatening. But there comes a point, this is kind of the first point I want to make tonight. I sort of worded it this way. Calculated confrontation will settle a lot of the controversy we have in our life. I'll say it again. Calculated confrontation will settle controversy. We live in a society today, and, and, and unfortunately it's creeped into the body of Christ too, not talking all seasons, I'm talking the church in general. We love controversy. Y'all getting real quiet, but I know you do. You get on social media and when something happens that in, the, in your community and everybody's saying, oh, guess what happened? Everybody starts sharing, everybody starts making comments, everybody wants to know what happened. Oh, did y'all see that? We get on TikTok and watch videos of things happening and everybody wants to show and share and we kind of see all these things that are happening. We love when controversial things happen. Oh, did you hear what happened? Do you know what happened? Again, controversy within families. Oh, so-and-so wasn't staying there anymore. Did you hear what happened? Happens within your workplace. Oh, I heard so-and-so's not going to be doing that anymore. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened. 
happens in the church. Did you hear about that church over there? A bunch of people left. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened. Again, we got real heavy real quick. But we in the church, we love controversy. We love when there's somebody that's upset and we like to spill the tea and get all the gossip. Does this make sense? And because I think that our, our, our society has learned to thrive and live in controversy and live in, in drama and live in a lot of these scandalous types of things, we love to hear stories of this church over there that seem to be doing so well. Yeah, we knew that they're doing too good because there was something going on and we make documentaries and we trash all of their preachers because they must have been all about money because they were doing all this. Here's the truth of the matter. A lot of times we love controversy so much that even if we're dealing with something, we'll allow it to happen. And you know how we allow controversy in our lives to happen? We refuse to confront it. We just let it build and simmer. Does this make sense? We allow things to happen. If you, you know, just on a simple form. Jesus said when he was on this earth, he told his disciples, he taught the people very plainly. He said, if you have a problem with your brother, go to him. I'm putting that in my own paraphrase, but that's basically what he said. If you have a problem with your brother, go to him and let's see if you can fix it. If you go to your brother and he won't listen to you and you can't solve it, then you go and you find somebody to go with you as a mediator and you go back to him and you see if you can fix it. If that doesn't work, then you both come to the church, to the elders of the church, and you call them together and see if you can fix it. If that doesn't work, there has to be a disassociation. Does all that make sense? Within all of that, you say, well, that sounds like really formal, really churchy. The basis that Jesus was teaching them was this principle. If there's a problem, the way to overcome a problem is to go to the person you have the problem with, communicate, and solve it. That may not make us want to run a Jericho march around the sanctuary, but it'll change your life and give you peace and give you victory. Listen, I'm, I'm the first to tell you, if I say something tonight or last week that, that kind of rubbed you the wrong way, let me tell you the way not to handle it. Not that, again, anybody has done this. I don't want anybody to start reading into it and think I'm trying to send the message or blast it. No, I'm just giving you an example based on the Word. Is this okay? But if I say something or if I do something or if there's something that comes across and it offends you, the way that we like to do it in our current society is we go to someone else and say, guess what he or she did? We go to social media and try to get uh, in our cancel culture and get everybody all riled up against the person who's offended us and try to get us a Calvary so we feel better about ourselves. The last thing we're willing to do is go and have a conversation with the person to either get maybe further explanation or give that person an opportunity to apologize and show grace. Is this okay? When that's the first thing we should do, if there's a problem in our church, in our family, on the workplace, I'm telling you, you can save yourself a lot of heartache if you will go and you will communicate. Paul could have kept saying, well, Peter, man, he ain't doing it right and he ain't doing it right. And he could have just put that in all the letters and talked to all of his friends about it. But Paul said, you know what? If I have a problem with Peter, the person I need to talk to it about is with Peter. Does this make sense? He was willing to go and confront the issue so that they could solve the issue. Now, I said calculated as a, 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 for a purpose. And again, I don't want to go rehash everything I've taught before in the past, but not every issue is really worth the confrontation. There's a lot of issues that just in our mind we could just ignore and everything would still be okay. That was such a word and it got just no response. That's okay. If you allow that to somehow settle in your spirit, guess what? Every wrong that's done to you doesn't have to be responded to. 
there are just a lot of things, you know, the, the, the old cliche, I hate to use it, but, you know, sometimes we love to turn mountains into, or molehills into mountains, I think, make mountains out of molehills, right? Things that really we could just step, all right, that wasn't good, okay, I'm just going to keep on living, it's okay, I can overlook those things. We think that everything's a personal attack and anybody has anything somewhat personal, we want to make sure we confront it about. So I need you to understand the concept. Paul was calculated in that this issue, as we're going to get into, was major enough and it was big enough that if they didn't confront it, it was going to cause incredible confusion and more damage was going to be done later on than it would be now. You all understand that concept in your life? Sometimes we'll ignore problems because we don't want the conflict. And I say we because it's one of the biggest battles I've faced in my life. So you're not alone. I'm not preaching at anybody. I'm preaching from my experience. Sometimes we'll ignore a problem and let it fester. And then we deal with something much more major later on than because we were afraid and didn't want to ruffle feathers by confronting it in the beginning. Is this okay? Be willing to go and calculate but confront. Peter said, you know what? Or Paul said, you know what? He was to be blamed. He was the reason behind an issue. So I'm going to go talk to him, withstand him to his face. That's important too. Don't try to settle the issue behind somebody's back and expect it to go well. Is this okay? I told you the first verse was heavy. And it, again, not real shouting things, but it's things that will change your life. Let me go to verse 12. So he's continuing to explain why. For before certain men from came from James, he being Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So let's make sure you understand the context here before I give you some more points. So Peter had this issue. Remember Peter in, in Acts, one of the, his early major turning points we thought with Peter came in the book of Acts when, when, when Peter was called by God to go and visit a Gentile that was praying and seeking the Lord. And so he came to Peter in a vision and said, you need to go and you need to talk to this man. You need to preach the gospel. And his way to tell Peter that was okay because Peter was still a little bit concerned. God, that person's not a Jew. He didn't come up following the law like we did. And so there's a vision, if you remember, that he gives to Peter. Peter's sitting on a rooftop, and there's a, a sheet that comes down with all these foods. And God tells Peter, here, you need your energy. Take and eat. And among those foods were, were, were foods that were considered by the law unclean. Does that make sense? There were certain things that by the Jewish law they shouldn't eat. Thankfully, we're not under the law. We can smoke Boston butt this weekend. Amen. But no, there was these foods, according to the Jewish law, that wasn't something that you were supposed to partake in. So Peter, again, doing what he thought was right, said, no, God, I'm not going to eat that. That's unclean. And the Lord spoke to him and said, if I created it, it's what? I'm telling you, it's clean. What he was doing was, he wasn't, some people are thinking, wow, was he just trying to contradict himself? No, Jesus and the Lord was trying to teach Paul that, Paul, I've come and I've fulfilled the law. Quit worrying about all of the rules that you had to follow before me. I'm here. I've come and I've fulfilled it. Just go and tell everyone about me. Does this make sense? So Peter's already had this moment. He's had this revelation. You would think that he would be in a point where he would be fully into the gospel of grace mode where he understood that the law had come but it had been fulfilled. Yet here's Peter who would eat with certain Gentiles, but there was a certain group that came that he didn't know. There was a certain group that James had brought back to Jerusalem to meet all the people. And as a result, Peter sort of got a little bit concerned. He said, oh, I don't know these people, so I need to go back to my old ways. 
Here's sort of the way that I think about it. Maybe it'll help you. Um, the, the really first time I remember, and, and, and if he watches this later, I'll talk to him and we'll make it all right. But I used to remember when I was a kid listening to my dad. My dad would be talking and he'd be talking normal in his conversational voice. And uh, he may even be getting on to me and my brother and kind of yelling and talking passionately. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, his phone would ring. It'd be somebody from the church. And it's like just in a minute, as soon as he picked up the phone, <gasps> hello. You all have parents like that? Like they could, just like that, the complete tenor and tone of his voice, like he just like, hello, like a man of God is now on the phone. I'm like, if those people only knew what you... No, I'm just kidding, nothing sinful. But if they only knew you were just yelling at us or trying to beat us... Okay, again, not literally, please, please, please. But, you know, you're, you're just getting on to us and you just turn it on there. How do you do that? Why do, Again, please don't, if he hears this, I'm not saying, but I think that naturally we all, naturally, I think we all kind of do that, right? You're in one moment, then all of a sudden you see who it's on the phone, you got to turn on and get into a different mode real quick. <gasps> Hello. Professional mode, right? Some of y'all looking at me crazy. Y'all know you do it. <laughs> you be going about your day talking and let Pastor Lott or my number or somebody's number come on your phone and see how it changes real quick. That's what I think about when I read this. Peter sees these people and he's like, oh, I had let my guard down. I've been eating with these Gentiles. I've been eating some, some, some pork. I've been eating some bacon and some shrimp. And oh, oh, they're coming. Let me get back to my, no, we don't do that. Again, I, this is going to sound like I'm railing on my upraising, but again, I, I kind of talk about the way it was when my dad first uh, became a pastor. I sort of look back on it. Um, before he was a pastor, I was pretty young. I kind of remember, though, in like 1990, he was not a pastor, and he took us to our first movie. It was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I loved it because I was just all in the Ninja Turtles at the time, and I just thought, this is great. And that would be the last time we'd go see a movie in a very long time because then a few years later, my dad became a pastor, and all of a sudden, it's like something changed from, hey, this is dad, to now he was like, we don't go to movies. Not like, Dad, we go to Blockbuster every weekend. What's the difference? No, it had become a, a, a thing. And again, I'm not, not trying to sound critical, but just it had become a moment. It's like, well, if somebody sees us there, there's some people who still don't believe in doing that, so we're not going to do that. And hey, listen, if you have standards and you have convictions, let me be the first to say, you know, you, you do what the Lord leads you to do on that. Does that make sense? I'm all for it. Some of you, you need to, the Lord may lead you to set some standards because there's things in your life that that can open the door to. So I'm the first to say, I'm not calling you crazy or calling you anything for, for having standards or believing that. But I just know that there was a difference between what I felt like my dad really thought was okay and then what he felt like he had to do in his position. Does this make sense? Like he would take me to see Hulk Hogan before he was the pastor of a church and now he's a pastor of a church, you know, we don't even watch that. I'm like, What? What changed? You were, we still went to church and followed Jesus then, and now we're... I've just given you some insight into my mind. And so I would probably think a little bit like Paul. Like, what's going on? This is different. I think sometimes we get into situations where we try to make ourselves holy, and it's good that we have standards and, and we have things, but here's the important thing Paul's showing us here. We have to be consistent. Y'all with me? The Lord wants us to be consistent. If it's wrong for me to do now, it's going to be wrong for me to do next week. Does this make sense? If it was wrong for me then, it's wrong for me now. And I, I, 
I, I don't want to lose you here, but, you know, I kind of joke around people who would, you know, I, I deal with kids and something, and they may be talking or doing something. Oh, we can't do that today. It's Sunday. And I'm glad that they have the tenor of, okay, Sunday must be a special or holy day, but if it's a sin on Sunday, it's going to be a sin on Monday too. Does that make sense? You know, people may come in, and, and again, don't... I know there's a certain reference for the reverence for the house of God and things like this, but if something isn't, you know, when people say, oh, this is the church, we don't need to do that, and I appreciate that, and I believe in keeping the sanctuary reverent, but do understand still, if it's wrong to do in here, you don't need to do it out there either. Does this make sense? It's important for us to be consistent in what we believe. If we're going to say it's wrong, it can't be wrong for other people, but okay for us. It can't be wrong for us and okay for everyone. It has to be sort of down the middle when it comes to the way we believe with the Lord. We have to be consistent. The other thing we have to do is we have to be really ready and willing to give an answer. You know, when I read this, this is sort of my you know, interpretation of it and the way that I study this. I think the reason that Peter cowered to the people that came from James and he sort of hid out and he sort of went back to his old ways is because he was afraid to confront and admit that he had been wrong before. I'd much rather not have to give you an answer and explain myself and, and not have to fool with it than to than I'd rather not do any of that. I can just cower away and do what I think you expect me to do. Listen, Jesus, the Bible says over and over again, be ready to give an answer. If you believe something and it's a part of your, your, your walk with Christ, be willing to explain something. Listen, if I tell you something's wrong, I'm going to explain to you and tell me why I think it's wrong. If there's a conviction, and I believe convictions work, do go into, you know, work out your own salvation. There are things that are sins that the Bible says are clearly wrong. There's things that, again, as I said earlier, like the movies or something like that, that I, I may not do. There are certain things that... that I just don't do. I'm not think, I don't think it's wrong for anyone else to do, but I just don't do it. But tell you what, if you want to come and ask me about it, I'm willing to explain to you why I follow that conviction. Does that, does that make sense? What I'm not going to do is cower away and refuse to, to own up to it because that shows me I don't really believe what I believe. Does that make sense? And that leads into the third point from this verse I want to make. Don't cower to men. I think I kind of talked about this last week, but it's worth mentioning again. Paul's saying here, the problem is, Peter, is you're, if, if you're acting this way, you're, you're scared of what men think. I said it last week, and again, I'll continue to say it, and I don't, I don't come from a harsh background. I don't come from some sort of rebellious spirit. I prayed for the Lord to convict me of any of those things if that was the case. But he's given me a freedom to say that ultimately when it comes down to it, my role here on earth isn't to please you or to please anybody else that's on the earth. My, my main objective is to please the Lord. And here's what I've also learned over and over again. If I work to please the Lord and He is pleased with me, I will gain the favor that I need with man. That comes as a part of the principle of the kingdom. That means I don't have to politic and work to get people on my side. If I please the Lord and do what I'm supposed to, then God will put the right connections in my life and the right people who need to have my back and support me, they'll see that I'm in the will of God and they'll be behind me. Amen? If you find yourself striving with that, quit worrying about and cowering to the opinions of man. That comes from, you know, I don't, I, I like coming to all seasons, but there's some people I don't tell I come here because I'm afraid of what they'll think. <laughs> Hopefully that's not the case, but if so, hey, be willing to give an answer. Allow the Lord to give you some insight. Listen, we're a spirit-filled church, and there are times when, you know, I've, I've had people, I've had guests that come into all seasons that I know aren't from a spirit-filled background. 
I would be lying if I said there aren't moments when the Spirit starts moving and I start thinking, man, I hope they don't get scared. Don't let that happen, God, whatever you do. But you know what? Ultimately, the Lord has taught me, if this is what you believe, if they come in and they see it and they have questions, guess what? You be willing and ready to give the answer. Don't cower to what I'm doing. If it's what you believe is real, then be all in. Amen? If you believe that the Holy Spirit's active on this earth, don't be afraid for other people to know that the Holy Spirit is active on earth. Let's move on. So verse 13. So this is what happened. Peter had started becoming a little hypocritical. He had been eating with Gentiles before, but now that these people are in, he's kind of cowering back and going back to his old ways and sort of isolating himself to just the Jewish people. And in verse 13, the rest of the Jews were also playing the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas, now remember Barnabas was Paul's guy. He brought Barnabas with him before in the first part of this chapter, what we talked about last week. But even Barnabas got carried away with their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas started to say, you know what, maybe, maybe I do need to stay away from these Jews. Maybe I just need to stay with my people. I just need to stay with the Jewish people. We need to go back to the law. Maybe that's what needs to happen. But Paul says this, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, again, he, he, before everybody, he was willing to ask this question. If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why are you compelling Gentiles to live as Jews? Let's put it more plain. Peter, if you feel that you are free from the law and you're willing to live a life that's free from the law and you're eating pork and bacon and shrimp and all the other things that the law is saying that you're able to do, but still, when these Gentiles come in, you try to hold them to the old rules that you're not even following yourself. How does that make sense? It's a good question, isn't it? A lot of logic to that question. It leads to this point I want to make, this principle. And I ask you simply this. It is important for all of us to hold ourselves to the same standards that we're holding everyone else to. It's a basic principle. It goes to every aspect of my life. When I'm in my family, when, I, when I'm at home, and the Lord's had to teach me this in my 13 years of, of marriage. I can give you a little insight if you haven't you know, gained that yet. Let me give you a little bit of insight if you want to stay together for 13 years and beyond. There comes a point where you better not hold your wife to a higher standard that you're willing to live to. Don't expect your kids to live to a standard that you're not willing to model for them. And I'm starting from the most basic of things. I shouldn't get mad at my wife for leaving the bathroom sink dirty when I'm not doing any better myself. Again, simple, but true. Shouldn't be mad at my wife that the dishes aren't being done when I haven't picked up the rag and tried to do any of them either. Does this make sense? When I go to work and I look at other people and... Again, I'm just being transparent. These are places I've been. Not that I sit here and do this now. The Lord's helped me. But, I mean, you look at other people, and it's easy to kind of see things that are wrong in the other people you work with, right? Again, just being real. Man, if I were to be one minute late, I know that they'd call me in that office and they'd fuss at me. But look at that person over there. They ain't been early one time this year. They ain't been on time yet. I can't believe they let go of these things. You know, it's natural. You, you do it. Man, that person gets does this. They, they take all these long breaks and all this stuff, and I, they, it ain't fair. You ever been there? 
It's easy when we look at other people, but then if somebody were to start looking at what we do, they didn't see that time that you were on the clock that you were wasting on the computer looking at, you know, sports scores, and they didn't see that time where, you know, you told them you were sick, but really you were just, you know, fishing. I know I'm getting way too, I'm meddling way too much, I'm not, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's real easy for us to hold everybody else to a standard that we don't want anyone to hold us to. And guess what? It's the same way in the church. It's very easy for us to speak, man, I can't believe they're not doing that in their ministry, not doing this. Well, what are you doing? Well, don't, let's not, we're not talking about me right now. <laughs> I can't believe they're going off and they're sharing that and they're singing that and they're listening to all those lyrics and all that cussing. And What did you watch on TV last night? I, that's not what we're talking about. Again, y'all think I'm maybe being silly, but do you understand how easy it is for us to want to hold other people to a standard that's different than ours? That's not the way the gospel works. Holiness is God's standard for living, and He asks us all to strive to meet that standard through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what we're all called to do. Let's get out of this mindset and this where we think that it's our job to look at what everyone else is doing and assess and to judge. Unless you're literally the boss and that's in your job description, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're all striving to do the same thing and to do our best. Amen? That's what he's saying. You, you can't hold them to a different standard than you're actually living to. It's not right. It goes in farther in verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Again, Paul is proclaiming the gospel here. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Amen? If we're going to still force people into the law, then what was the point of Jesus? Jew and Gentile both are saved by faith in Christ. It's not one or the other. One doesn't have a different standard. And this is important. Following the law doesn't make one more saved. This may be hard for us to under... I hope I can explain this well. I'm not... And again, don't take what I'm saying and think that I've gone off the deep end of, of greasy grace and all that things, of do what you wish and, and, and all that stuff. No, we're, we're not going in that. Pastor Chase talked about that a few weeks ago, did a great job. We, we're not in that, that realm. But at the same time, understand that if you follow every law and you do everything to the jot and tittle and you start thinking about, look at what all I'm doing, it makes me more saved than someone else, then you've missed the boat and you've gotten into the boat Peter was in. We're all saved by grace and putting our faith in Christ Jesus. Nothing else can do it. Is it good principle to memorize the entire Bible if you want to? Absolutely, do so. We need to hide His Word in our heart, amen? But just because you can cite the whole Bible, does it make you more saved than someone else who puts their faith in Jesus? No. Listen, we should all, again, strive to live a life that's holy, a life where we're not having to, to live in sin every single day. But just because you can sit here and maybe you keep track on a chart and say, I haven't sinned in about 47 straight days, does that make you more saved than the person Jesus forgave when they just said the prayer five minutes ago? I hope this is okay because this is what Peter was saying, or Paul was saying to Peter, listen, Jesus came to fulfill the law. 
Verse 17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. Are you all all understanding this? He's saying it this way. This is kind of a way to reword this. If while we are acknowledging that we're justified by faith, so if we're going to leave here today and say the justification we have, we're saved by faith. That's how I know that I'm saved. I've been justified by that fact. It's nothing I've done. It's all about what Jesus done. Amen? We can say amen to that. That'll preach. That We can shout to that and worship to that. But if we do that and we find ourselves to be sinners through such justification, and then we say, well... Let me go back. I, you're saying I'm not a sinner, so I'm going to go back to the law to justify how I'm saved? Then you've messed it all up. Christ, instead of being a minister of righteousness and salvation, which He is, He's really a minister of sin and condemnation. Romans 8 tells us that there is therefore no condemnation. Are you all with me? If you've given your life to Jesus and He's washed you in the blood of the Lamb that we sung about a minute ago, then guess what? You're saved. There's no more condemnation. You begin to walk from that point in faith with Jesus Christ. How many of you are happy for that? Verse 18, For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I'm making myself a transgressor. If I'm trying to add a man-made process, if I'm trying to add man-made tradition, if I'm trying to add works to my process of salvation, then again, I'm cheapening and ruining everything that Jesus did. He gave His whole life on the cross in vain. It's either all or nothing. Either Jesus completely washed our sins away, or we have to do it all on our own. You can't combine it and try to create some sort of religious tradition. Is this good? Verse 19, for I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. If I killed something and it's in the past and now I'm ready to move on, I don't need to go resurrect that thing again. If Jesus was enough to come and fulfill the law, I don't need to go back and try to rehash it all again. Are you all with me? That's why when you hear Gospels, even here in 2023, you're like, what are you talking about? There, there are traditions and, and, and sort of things that some people would try to tell you that you have to do to be saved. Things that you have to, maybe a way that you have to look or a way that you have to worship or a way that it has to sound and a type of church that you have to go to. Some people would even argue there's a specific version of the Bible that you must read all the time. You name it, it's been put into a church and they've tried to put a parameter on it. But I'm here to tell you, if it's anything besides faith alone in Jesus Christ, it's garbage. The law died. I'm not going to go resurrect it again in my own image. Does this make sense? In verse 20, probably the most popular verse of this chapter, maybe the book, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I that live, but it's who? Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. If I believe that, if I believe that it was Jesus and Jesus alone and He's the one who's given me life, then it's by that faith alone that I don't have to put any parameters that are man-made on top of it. As I said last week, if there's things that need to come out of your life, and listen, I'll tell you, there are sins in your life that need to come out. Don't leave here saying that PB said it's okay, I'm saved. I can't, no. You're saved. It doesn't mean that you can be saved and need to go get drunk tonight. You don't need to go start gambling all your money away. 
You don't need to go find some pot to smoke or some drug to get addicted to. Is this okay? You don't need to go cheat on your wife this week because you're under grace. That's not what we're talking about. But I'm not going to add any other man-made tradition that, that is not in the Bible and that is not something that, that is sinful that the Holy Spirit convicts me of. That's man-made. None of that's going to be allowed in. Is this all right? And let me give you another important step. I know I'm sitting here naming sins, but I, I'm here to tell you, and I believe this so strongly, and I believe there's a lot of people within a lot of spheres of the, the body of Christ that have kind of missed on this one and have driven people away. But I believe it strongly. I believe we should preach sin. I believe that we should proclaim the things that the Bible clearly says is wrong. And I will preach and stand upon that. I, when I accepted the call and the duty and was licensed and all the things I've done, to do, I, I'm going to stand on that. That's my duty. But I also will be the first one to tell you this. If there's something in your life that needs to be removed, I don't have to come and examine you for five days and make a list and then share that list with you. I believe the Holy Spirit comes to your life when you're saved. I believe He begins to speak to you and His voice will begin to come into your ear. And in that moment, He'll begin to convict you and show you what you need to let go. And guess what? It'll be much more powerful than if I was following you around telling you you shouldn't do that. Does that make sense? Trust me, I know you, you, a lot of times even if someone's preaching on sin and you start feeling convicted, it has nothing to do with the person saying it. It's what the Holy Spirit's doing on the inside of you and letting you know you need to get rid of. Is this okay? Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. Hear me, I know this, for the sake, this is the last verse. For the sake of sound of redundant, I'm not trying to you know, as a cliche, beat the dead horse or keep, you know, repeating myself to fill time. But I, I, I feel this so strongly that I have to make sure this is communicated. Just because a portion of the kingdom of God, and I'll use this word, has prostituted the word grace in order to allow you to do what you want to do, doesn't mean that we can throw the word away completely. I still believe... In the words of John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because guess what? It's that grace that has changed me and made me who I am and has propelled me to live a life that's holy and worthy of the Lord. Amen? I cannot set aside the grace of God. I refuse to do that. I refuse to tell somebody that they can use their own power and ability to make themselves right because if it was all about that, it would have been done. I mean, the, the whole Old Testament, all of those people had plenty of opportunities to get it right. And over and over and over again, we read of stories of how they could not get it right. I mean, you realize that? Even David who was a man after God's own heart. So powerful when I think about that. Like David's one of the few people in the Bible, he was described as someone after God's own heart. God loved David. I don't I know he loves us all. But there was just something about David that was special. There was a connection with him and God. Does that make sense? And even someone after God's own heart, in the wrong place, at the wrong time, seeing something that pleased his eyes and allowing himself to stay there in that moment of temptation and then acting upon that temptation, found himself in sin. Even David couldn't get it right. 
It took a Savior, and His name was Jesus. So we can't set aside grace. If righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus died in vain. I plead with you. You may be sitting here saying, well, Pastor Bradley, this is all good. This is all, I understand all of that. But I do urge you tonight, as we get ready to close here in a moment, and as we'll end in prayer, I do urge you to pray for the Spirit to set a hedge around your heart and to protect your spirit. I pray this all the time. Because guess what? I grew up around church. Because of my background, I grew up in church. And I know different people have different backgrounds. So one of the things or one of the areas that the enemy can use in my life and has used over the course of my walk is because I've grown up in church, I haven't really grown up around a lot of sin. So it's easy, you know, I say this, to tempt PB. I mean, you could throw a six-pack right here and a line of cocaine and it wouldn't do anything to me. Does that make sense? I wouldn't, that, that's never been there. I'm not Some of you, if you got in that situation, it would be bad. I know, but that wouldn't be what would, Twinkies maybe, but nothing else. But what the enemy would oftentimes use with me being around church so much is I saw a lot of church people who were imperfect and a lot of church people who, claimed to be good and thought and this and that, and I saw them act in ways that weren't good and a lot of the hypocrisy that we talked about here. And So what the enemy would try to bring to me is a root of bitterness. Man, if I can't depend on this, if, this ain't, if these people aren't right and they claim to be right, then how can I trust anybody? There'd be times where a religious spirit would try to rise up and I'd see that person thinks there's all this and all that. Just wait, they're going to fall. And, and when, they, when something like that would happen and somebody would fall, instead of showing the grace that God would expect us to to reach down a hand, there are moments in my life where I would kind of chuckle. I hate to say this and admit it, but I'm just telling you where I've been in my life. Is this okay? Yeah, see there, I knew they weren't all that. Everybody just thought y'all were the next big thing. You know, these young hot preachers would come along and everybody would think that they were everything and they'd get all the attention and everybody. And I'd, in my mind, yeah, you just wait. And then if something happened and that person had a moral failure, instead of showing the compassion that the grace of God would call, in my mind, I would almost take solace in the fact that, yeah, I knew I was right. That's a bad place to be. If Jesus died for my sins, he died for their sins too. So as we're walking through this thing, I know some people have a bigger spotlight than others. It's just the way. Some people are held to different standards. Listen, the fact that I'm standing here on stage, the fact that I carry the title pastor, it, it doesn't come lightly that I, I carry a different weight than a lot of people do. There's a different light on that. And there are different standards I may have to hold myself to that, that, that maybe others don't. But in the midst of that, I can't sit there and expect more from somebody else than I'm expecting from myself. We have to understand that the grace of God is available for everybody and His blood was shed for everybody. Will you stand with me tonight? I'm going to ask you again like we did last week just to bow your hearts, bow your heads with me. Allow Holy Spirit to begin to speak to you. Maybe there was something tonight as we went through the Word that sort of stood out to you or the Holy Spirit sort of tugged on your heart and said, yeah, that's an area I need to move in. Maybe you're here tonight and maybe there have been some critical spirits or some hypocritical spirits that have come up. Maybe you didn't want to admit it, but 
Maybe there are moments where you've been critical in your family, critical in your workplace, critical within the body of Christ, within the church, of what other people weren't doing. And maybe right now, Holy Spirit's sort of tugging on your heart and saying, well, don't, don't, don't criticize them until you get into the game as well. Maybe you're here and there's an issue that you've allowed to simmer and that you need to deal with, but you've just refused to confront it. And like Peter, you just need to stand up and, and go communicate. Maybe the Holy Spirit needs to bring that to your remembrance so you can call those people tonight, this week. Have that conversation. Make that thing right. And listen, maybe there's somebody here tonight that you say, as I've been going along this, this walk, I've been going along this journey with Jesus. Maybe I've been saved a long time, but maybe I've, I've allowed the enemy to prop me up in my own ability. Maybe I'm starting to feel good about what I do and what, how much I accomplished. And maybe I've learned and, and began to rely way more on my works than I should the grace of God. And maybe tonight the Holy Spirit wants to bring you back to that remembrance and allow you to lay down those prideful thoughts whatever it is as we pray i pray lord that you will lay those things down tonight and allow holy spirit to minister to you right there where you are father i thank you so much for your word i thank you that we're saved that we're justified by faith we thank you that it's not by our own works because father our human works in the end of the day they're shallow they're hollow they're meaningless but father you overcame the world. You provided your son Jesus as a sacrifice. And that bloodshed covers a multitude of sins. Father, we thank you that we're saved by that blood. Father, here today, Lord, you see the hearts. I pray that there's anyone here that is facing a situation that they need to confront. There's a problem they need to communicate. Father, the enemy's convinced them that they should ignore it, but things are festering. Bitterness is starting to take root. Things are happening that are causing problems. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will give them the courage and the bravery to confront those things and have communication in order to bring unity back into their lives, their families, their jobs, their workplace, the body of Christ. Father, I pray if there's anyone here, God, that, Lord, the enemy is, has sort of tempted them with, with judgmental thoughts or, or tempted them with areas of pointing out others' deficiencies while ignoring their own. Father, I pray that Holy Spirit will send conviction today. And as they repent, Father, that you, your grace will be sufficient for them. Father, help us to remember that there's no man-made transition or traditions that can make us saved. Father, you've called us to do good works. Father, you've called us to live holy lives. You've called us to, to, to carry out disciplines and, and to act as Christians. But Father, there's nothing that we can do that can take the place or substitute your blood and the work that you did on the cross. So, Father, remind us of that. Help us to show grace to the people in our lives. Help us to be compassionate and loving and to pick people up instead of stepping over them if they've fallen. Touch our hearts this week. In Jesus' name, and everybody here say, Amen, Amen. God bless you. I hope you all have a great week. We'll see you Sunday.